0: Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. I'm Leslie the Third. And Jack is running out getting food right now. But I didn't want to hold up this recording because we have possibly, possibly the biggest guest that we have ever. Ever had on this show. I'm not just talking about, you know, the guy who does the voice of Solid Snake. I'm just t- not talking about, you know, the Chapo Trap House guys. I'm talking about someone who is esteemed in their field. Someone who won a prize no less than the very Pulitzer Prize. The Pulitzer Prize. We have a Pulitzer Prize winner on the show today. He is a playwright. I mean, that's already impressive if you can write a play. But he doesn't just write plays. He wrote a musical called A Strange Loop, which I've seen clips of. And it is uh, one of the coolest, uh, hippest things I've ever seen in musical theater. He, his name is Michael Jackson, but it's a different one. Michael R. Jackson, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Leslie and Jack.
0: It, 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 I'm so happy to have you as a Pulitzer Prize winning uh, playwright. Why would you ever come on my podcast? I mean, come on, like, why aren't you on the Today Show? Like, <laughs> oh, you know, ch- chopping it up with Kay Keurig. What, what, what brings you to my podcast? I have a feeling that it's part of it is the fact that your bio does say that you are a black. Queer leftist trash talker, and we love all those things in struggle Session <laughs> so hopefully i I think that's why you came on,
1: yeah, no and I um, and we have a friend in common, Katie Halper mm-hmm. yes, but, love
0: Katie uh one of our best friends, and she she did uh hook us up and told us we had to have you on, even though I'm sure Katie knows that Jack and I know nothing about uh Broadway musicals whatsoever. <laughs>
2: I know an embarrassingly little amount, Leslie. I mean, let's be fair here. I I, I can sing a a lot of Jesus Christ Superstar.
1: Well, you know, let's start there then. Baby steps. Baby steps with
0: Jesus. (laughs) I'm a huge fan of Sweeney Todd, the Johnny Depp movie version. I can watch that movie over and over again. I don't like any other musicals almost except for like Sweeney Todd. But uh, something about the violence in it uh, spoke to me, I guess
1: a great show i've never seen the movie version i've only seen the original
0: oh he is pretty good he mostly doesn't sing he just kind of growls through right. the whole thing and, <laughs> and it mostly works so uh michael uh, can you start off by telling us what is it like to win a pulitzer
1: <laughs> um it's so it's... we can prepare when they have
0: those podcasting Pulitzers
2: I'm sure we will be in contention
1: well it's hard to say I kind of feel like it's hard to say what it's like because I've won it under such strange global circumstances Right. so like I I can't tell how much of my reaction to it was that I like couldn't really do anything when I found out that I won it and how much of it was like excitement about actually winning it but it's like pretty cool you know it It's like a lot of people texting you and calling your phone all at the same time and emailing (laughs) you and like blowing up your social media. It's just a lot of attention all in one moment.
0: But mostly good, I would assume.
1: Yeah, no, people were very happy. It seemed I don't there might be some haters out there, but I (laughs) didn't see them.
2: Yeah, I've done a couple posts that got a lot of people texting me and a lot of people tweeting at me, but I don't think it was like a, as nice as it was for you to <laughs> yeah. be honest. Oh, with right, you. <laughs> right, 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 right.
1: No, it was it was very warm, loving reception. So I was grateful for
0: that. And I mean. Pulitzer do you I just what does that mean now do you just can call yourself a Pulitzer Prize winner or is there like a, would there normally be like a program where you go on tour the Pulitzer tour of um, <laughs> the writers and playwrights well I mean it's a lot of writers
1: and artists a lot of writers in a lot of different categories so like there's um a poet Named Jericho Brown, who he won one. There's another, like a novelist named Colson Whitehead, who won one. There's Hannah, Nicole Hannah Jones, won one for journalism. Or no, Hannah, I would say her name wrong. Hannah Nicole Jones, uh, Nicole in, Hannah Jones.
0: uh Ida Bay Wells on Twitter. That's probably Ida how Bay most Ida saying. Bay
1: Wells. Um, she won one. You know, so lots of different people won it. It's my understanding that normally there's like a a ceremony, like a, a dinner or or something or a luncheon or something that they do that all the Pulitzer winners go to, in I don't know if it's in New York or D.C. But that's normally what would happen. And like, there's lots of opportunities for you to like do press and there like you get invited to a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, and Michael, now what well, I do want to ask you now. That you've won it. Uh, understanding that we're under, you know, quarantine right now, have they told you when they're going to bring you into the little room and tell you that you can no longer be a leftist and you need to be a liberal? <laughs> have they have they, Have they scheduled that meeting yeah. for you yet? Has
2: your liberal indoctrination uh, begun yet? <laughs> no, not quite. But
1: I feel like. I'm questioning sort of all the the labels at this point, to be honest with you. Like, I'm like in this very real debate with myself about like, what does it actually mean to like call oneself a leftist or conservative or progressive or like, what does it actually mean? Because it feels like the world is like constantly shifting Mm -hmm. and there's lots of contradictions in it. and, And it makes me like, just wonder about the labels not about the politics per se but just the labels
0: can you uh tell us about what a strange loop is because i i was i watched. you have a really interesting trailer mm-hmm. and uh from what we what i could gather from it it's almost it's like a black queer herman's head what? about your life <laughs> in new york As someone who's working, you know, a day job, but is a playwright. So he writes a play about a guy who's working his day job as a playwright.
1: Yeah, so the first thing that I normally like to sort of say about A Strange Loop is that it's not really autobiographical in the traditional sense. I sort of, I use the term self-referential because I I drew from personal experience to write it. But there's a true mix of fact and fiction in the piece, and so it's more emotionally autobiographical than anything. Yeah. Um, and so, and what it's about is kind of as you describe, it's about a black gay musical theater writer who works as an usher at a short of Broadway show, who's writing a musical about a black gay musical theater writer who works as an usher at a short of Broadway show. He's writing a musical about a black gay musical theater writer who works in an usher at a short of Broadway show, <laughs> and sort of like cycling through his own self hatred with the help of um, his thoughts who are portrayed by six um, sort of six different black queer bodies, people who play sort of the whole universe as he sees it, um, helping him sort of work through his self-hatred.
0: You mentioned, you know, black queer bodies. And like, when I, watching the clips of your play like that is the thing that stands out like when you normally see like any anything on Broadway the people who are front and center uh they are usually not black or queer and they're they don't have you know big bodies they look like you know what we consider you know a, a typical actor and, and I'm sure like was it important to you to cast like this diverse array of bodies because I mean if you think about like who the good sangers are like it's usually people who don't look like movie stars it's usually you know bigger folks and like i wonder like do those people just always have to like be backstage singing into like a mic by themselves <sighs> at broadway or, or or what do they all like just go on extreme diets before broadway because i know the best singers uh aren't skinny
1: well you know there there's a there's a few out there but like for me it was it was more about you know, as somebody who... I'm not just somebody who makes theater. I also sort of consume it. Mm-hmm. And I have, you know, since I was a little kid. And, like, the thing that just... I, I wanted to write. I wanted to show... I felt like I never had seen any representations on stage that, like, felt like... That had the level of nuance that I wanted them to have. Like, I would see, like, a black... I might see, like, a show with a black protagonist or a main character... And I might see a character who was like a queer protagonist and I might even see like a black queer protagonist in something like Moonlight, but it still was always either. It was, it it would always be like the embodiment would always usually be like a Calvin Klein model or something Mm. or like, or like it would be. And I was just like, you know what that exists and that's a real, those are real people. And I know these people and they have, stories and joys and sorrows but like i I was like i just found it strange that like i could never see like a fat black gay man on stage sort of going through something and like you have to like experience what he experiences and frankly i've never seen that with any black female queer characters pretty either you know and i want to know what their stories are too so i just wanted to create something that was like where it was like important that the body that was inhabiting the story was part of the story too of like what we're just used to seeing and empathizing with.
0: Yeah. Cause I, I, I remember one comment about Moonlight that, that was really funny by someone who was gay. He was like, you know, I really like that film, but the idea that Trevante Rhodes wasn't having sex all the time. Seems uh, uh, uh completely well, I mean, unbelievable. And, it, and
1: also, like the other thing about that movie, and to be clear, I really like like Moonlight, but like also, it's sorry, like no all all the the um of those characters were straight, like the mm-hmm. actors, like right. all the actors. So there's this, so there's there's this double thing of like. Then also, when you see these representations, a lot of times of gay characters, they're often played by straight people. Mm-hmm. I think that's slowly starting to change for for white actors. Like, a lot of gay and queer actors are plain gay characters. But it's, le- it's not quite as many Black ones, unless you're on something like Pose, where, like, I think that's, like, the most I've seen in one place, where, like, the, 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 the actors are queer as well. So um, I just wanted to do... I just felt like, what if I created something where it was, like, you know, a a diverse array of black bodies. Like, it wasn't just like diverse like the way people normally mean it where it's like, let's have 65 white people and throw one black person (laughs) in there. Like, what if everybody on the stage was black, but they were all different, but they all were queer. You know, like, that to me felt like really exciting and, uh, you know, a little radical. So at least for commercial theater.
0: Working in Broadway because the thing about Broadway of like all the forms of media, it's probably one of the ones that can be like the least accessible. Uh, and so you're ma- making a play that's about, you know, black uh, queer people who don't have a lot of money. Like, how do you make sure that those people can actually see your show?
1: Right. And I also just need to correct one thing is that uh, Strange Loop was not on Broadway. Oh, okay. It was off, it was off, it was off Broadway.
0: Off Broadway trying
1: to get people in to see the shows and the accessibility of tickets is is an ongoing thing, um, whether it's on Broadway or off-Broadway or whatever. But, you know, I worked with um, Playwrights Horizons and Page 73, who were two of my producers, um, to do the show. And, like, you know, they they did an array of programs to try to make sure that people could afford to see the shows and marketing, you know, toward people who might be interested in seeing it, people who we thought should see it. so we got like overall i think a really good mix of students and and art artist, young artists of color black artists young, of color um older people younger people white people not white people you know PO, POCs in general like we i think we managed to get a good mix and um and you know not necessarily break the bank which is not easy to do on off Broadway or on Broadway.
0: We would be remiss if we did not ask you about you know the big play that everyone has been talking about for almost four years straight now, and uh, man, turn out the dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, not not quite yet. This is one you're very familiar with, Jack, and I just want to ask you like when you were writing a strange loop. Did you ever consider making one of your thoughts, your personalities that are represented in the play as kind of like a chorus, did you ever think of making one of them a rapping slave owner?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I did not have any rapping slave owners, but I did have ancestors that came out of the ground to chide the protagonist for not writing in Tyler Perry style, stage play.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> well, because you see what Lynn manuel Lynn manuel had a story he was going to tell about himself and how he like writes a lot and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And he decided to tell it through the voice uh, uh, of, yeah, one of the slave owning founding fathers.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Um, and Lynn actually lives two minutes away from me. He lives like right down the street from me. Wow. I would say that he lives on the right side of the tracks, and I live on the wrong side of the tracks. So, so
0: is there beef? Is there playwright beef? Are you going to catch him in the streets? Is he going to catch you in the streets? We're trying to
1: spark it
2: here. If there isn't,
1: um, you're not, you're not, you're not going to get me. <laughs> like that. landon has been like very, very kind to me over the years, so I have nothing but nice things to say about him sorry
0: no no it's, it's fine oh, no, 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 it's fine no no, no <laughs> it, it's it's fine we, we but i do want we, we don't want beef with you and lynn but i do have to get into this tyler perry thing because right. he did text you uh congratulations oh he called you too
1: he and called me yeah
0: okay and so the text seemed to imply uh that he was going to beat your ass if he, yeah. sees well, you. he
1: said that to me on the phone
0: oh <laughs> <laughs> so please tell us tell yeah, please, please.
1: so he texts so the, the day before a friend of mine had told me that he had spoken to him and my name had come up and then the next day i was on the phone with my mother and i get a text message and i see it's from tyler perry and i like didn't respond to my mother and then he calls like five minutes later and so i said hey mom Hold on.
0: <laughs> so, then, so then
1: um I flipped over and I'm like, hello and he's like, It's Tyler Perry. And I was like, Oh, hello, sir. Thanks for calling, you know. <laughs>
0: he's like,
1: uh he basically is like, you know, I'm gonna book, I'm gonna beat your ass. Um and I said, Well, I'll get Vaseline for my face and let's go. And he was <laughs> like he's like, Oh no, I don't need any Vaseline, like, you know, I'll just punch you in the neck. And then I was like, Listen, I get as good as I get. You know, and then he was like, okay, but seriously, congratulations on the Pulitzer, you know, and then he wants to know stuff like, was I the first black, like, he wants to know about the sort of black historical nature of it. Mm-hmm. So I broke that down for him. And then, he, you know, he was kind of like, we talked a little tiny bit about uh, how I guess he had spoken to Lee Daniels in the past about how there's a lot of black writers who who feel like whose families and people in their lives think that he's the benchmark that they need to live up to. And he's heard that criticism before, but he thinks everybody should be able to write whatever they want. And I was like, yeah, that's true. And I was like, if, you, if we want to have a longer conversation about my feelings about you, we can do that at another date face to face. And he was like, you know, it was, it was like a very cordial, nice conversation. He had not seen the show. Okay. Um, he, he, he just had heard that I had quote unquote taken an ax to him in it. And then, um, he, and that's why I said, you know, the cast album is available online. And then he was like, oh, I should call up Jay-Z to see if I can get it on title. And I was like, "Uh, okay." <laughs> I don't know if it's on title or not. Very uh, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's on nice the, title. Nice
0: wow. flex,
2: though. Oh, I'll just call Jay Z and get your your little wow. play. It, it's, it's like a whole twenty more listeners.
1: Right. It turned out it was on title, and he texted, and so I was like, "Okay, whatever." Um, and then he hung up, and like five minutes later, he texted me a screenshot to show that he had bought the album and had listened to my song, Tyler Perry Writes for Life." And he didn't say what he thought of it or anything, so who knows? He also sort of intimated that, well, maybe I'll uh, make you give me a royalty of some kind for using my name, but
0: whatever. <laughs> like if you if you paid him money, I'm pretty sure he'd be happy with you regardless. Right. <laughs> no matter. He doesn't need you. any money from me. No, he does not. But I mean, for people who listen to the show and don't know who Tyler Perry is. I like
2: I mean I, that seems that seems confusing even to begin with, but sure. Yeah,
0: So Tyler Perry is is a writer, director, playwright. He's made a bunch the Medea stuff. He did all that stuff. Um if you ever turn on BET, it's probably one of his movies on. There's probably like an evil dark-skinned black guy who's given trouble who gets the girl that the light-skinned black guy really loves. And like he makes all these little kind of Morality plays that are you know very simplistic, but I guess can be fun to watch for humor's sake. But what, Michael? What were your what were your criticisms of uh, Tyler Perry? I'm personally not a huge. Uh, don't think he's a great filmmaker, but um, I, I don't want to
2: fight. Him I too. will say that I I think it's very impressive how much work he's able to put out. He I is, will say that at does the very a least, lot. I'm he like Tyler Perry like gets stuff out. So I'll I'll give I'll give Tyler Perry that. Uh, uh Mark
1: <laughs> Well I mean my my critiques of Tyler Perry are like far and far and wide and like but my main issue is that he doesn't take the time to actually do good work like he yeah, does right. like he, do, he does he does he turns everything out in like 5 minutes
2: right yeah so your 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 sort of overriding complaint about Tyler Perry is like the same as like he he puts out too much work like yeah. he puts out too much work
1: it's like but it's complicated too because it's like so i came to know who he was like 20 years ago when he first really started to blow up in terms of like movies cuz prior to that he was like well known as like a a Chitlin Circuit, whatever you want to call it, urban theater, gospel plays, whatever. And like I, and I remember I, the first year I lived in New York as a gag gift for my friend Kisha, I took her to go see Why Did I Get Married at the Beacon Theater in New York, which was starring um, Kelly Price wearing a fat suit. And like, and I remember me and my friend Kisha were just sitting there the whole time, and the Beacon Theater is like packed, like just people hanging from the, the chandeliers, and like. It, the, it was such a weird experience because it just was like this, he's like representing a kind of black life as like a, it, it was almost like, it wasn't quite a minstrel show, but it like, it just was so basic. And, and like, and, and there were, and the logic of it didn't add up even on its own terms. Mm. And that was just a thing that I felt like every time I would come back to whether it was one of his movies or his plays I found it to be the same thing Where it just wasn't well constructed I don't have an issue that he writes For a specifically kind of black audience But like I want him to like Respect their like intelligence Yeah And and also to be mindful of the images That he's putting in front of them And in and, and the movies is like where I really took issue Because I went to go see I was in the middle of writing A Strange Loop Because A Strange Loop was like a very long year's process of writing. And I went to go see um, this movie that he did called uh, Confessions of a Marriage Counselor. Oh, that mm.
0: one. That one's actually kind of good. That one actually kind of fun to
1: watch. But like, it made me really, really angry because he literally... Did, I mean, it's just so... Every time I talk about it, it makes me insane. Oh. So he literally... It's about... Journey Smollett is in it. Yes. <laughs> and Kim, Kardashian Kim Kardashian, too. Kim <laughs> Kardashian West. Wow. America's lawyer. Kim Kardashian wow. West is in it. <laughs> and um, Vanessa Williams with like a French accent. Yes. And um, Brandy. And like in this movie, Journey Smollett falls in love with this like dark skinned man who literally is basically the, the devil. The devil.
0: Literally the like, devil. It's literally a scene in
1: the movie, a hot tub where there's like smoke. All tendrils all around him. Wow. Anyway. Um, oh, also, Ella Joyce is in it. Do you remember Ella Joyce from Rock? From, like, the 90s? Yeah, yeah. She
0: played, the, yeah. She played
1: uh, uh, Charles S. Dutton's wife on Rock. Wife, she, yeah. she also went to my high school randomly. Oh, cool. Along <laughs> with Kenya Moore, Ellen Burstyn, Lily Tomlin, and David Alan Greer. Um, <laughs> and so she, like, this woman starts having an affair with the devil. And then the, her husband he tries to break them up, but then, lo and behold, you find out, because her husband is a pharmacist whose uh, co-worker is Brandy, you find out that Brandy has AIDS, and yes. Brandy <laughs> oh. got AIDS from the devil, yeah, and right. the man gave HIV to the... To, mm.
0: Journey from my life. Life. And, and yeah. like the
1: moral of the story is, well, that's what she gets for sleeping around. Yeah. And like, and I just remember seeing that and it made me so angry because I'm like, because there was also people in the audience where I was seeing the movie and they were like, yep, that's what she get. And I just like, y'all, do you understand the impact that HIV AIDS has had on like black people? For you to construct a piece of culture, a cultural artifact that reinforces this like really negative and toxic idea is, like, so damaging. And it made me... And it was just one of the many things, in addition to just the straight-up craft of his work, as I see it, that, that like, upset me, which is why, then, when that show Black as Fuck comes on... And they try to have this episode where they're like talking about whether you can critique black work and they have Tyler on there. Yes, I'm like, but wait a minute. Why are you acting as though the issue is about whether white critics understand his work or give him a pass (laughs) or not? And not about whether or not the fact that it's that movie Fall from Grace had just come out where you can see actors pretending to drink water and eat in mind. You can see extras on this. You can see. Um, actors reading from their script pages in <laughs> the shot. Big big shots, wigs are one side and one shot and then on the other. Like just bad crap. And then he brags about I wrote all of my my three um sisters and the oval and that other show. I wrote these all by myself in a week. You know I'm, I'm like, that's nothing to brag about. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> because it, because it and, right. and and for me I'm only coming at it from a place of like it took me almost 20 fucking years to write my musical because (laughs) I like cared a lot about it and I wanted to make sure that it was really good and like and it's I mean it doesn't take me 20 years to write everything but like I just I just I just look as an artist you should take your time and check your work Mm. and that's like my biggest issue with him I mean in addition to like some of the images that I like don't understand and he creates but like it's more that, but but then because he's cultivated an audience and he's made all these millions and, I don't know, maybe billions of dollars at this point, people go, well, he made all this money, so what have you done? Right, yeah. like, And they think that making money means that it doesn't matter what the quality of the work is. I'm like, but the quality of the work does matter, especially because y'all all dragging him on Twitter when you see that this half-ass, stupid-ass movie is a hot-ass mess.
2: <laughs> right.
0: Michael, I am so glad you brought up Black AF because I watched that show. It's terrible. I, it's
1: see, fucking terrible.
0: See, I see, Michael. I that was my first reaction. This is awful. This is terrible. It has bad politics. Is bad. It's a bad it's thing. It's
1: so insecure with its own identity, like that. Mm-hmm. It has to call itself black as fuck. But then you <laughs> all you have the fucking like the lightest skinned people yeah. ever on yes. there, all trying to like like. Um, convince us that they're blacker than everyone else what does that mean
0: first my first reaction to it was like okay first of all this the guy who made it is the guy who made um, them blackish i actually kind of like blackish but like for him to basically make blackish was always already kind of autobiographical but for kenya barris is his name for then to him to make another show just starring him in the Anthony Anderson role seemed, like, so egotistical, especially since he's, like, not an on-camera performer in general. Right. Like, it's so bizarre. Uh, but when I, when I first thought, I didn't think it was funny. I didn't like it. And, I like, I thought, like, Rashida Jones is not black enough to carry the show or funny enough to carry this show. Like, and they, they title every episode. Actually, this is all uh, about slavery. slavery. Every, it's so but, repulsive. But Michael, let me let me drop this on you. Maybe maybe you'll feel me and maybe don't. I ended up liking it by like the third or fourth episode because what I realized is that Kenya Barris it, and he portrays himself so horribly in the show he hates his kids he hates himself he hates everyone and he's put this is a show he's writing he portrays himself as just like this miserable piece of garbage who even though he's super rich and super wealthy and like there's a really like fucked up scene where he like crushed like he brags about how him, him and his wife brag about how rich they are mm-hmm. to like their white friends who say something off color like but like just it brags. Talking about like their extreme wealth, like their private jets and shit. And then I real and but then the show ultimately still is about that. Even though he's so rich, he gets the admiration that he's seeking from white people. Mm-hmm. He gets all the accolades. He has everything. And he's still utterly miserable, uh, awful person. He hates everyone. He hates himself. And the fact that that somebody would make a show with so much disdain in it for both themselves and all of humanity, just because it's won me over kind of. like I like seeing someone who's just an awful, miserable person just like spitting their anger into the world with no other purpose for it. That that kind of won me over.
1: So... The reason why it did not win me over <laughs> was because I actually was, like, interested in the just the general idea of, like, these, like, really insanely wealthy Black people living their whatever, vapid, shallow lives. But because he was too afraid to, like, just represent their lives as that, he had to try to shoehorn in all this, like, but we Black, we Black, we Black, and we're Blacker than you. Into it. Yeah. I feel like they should have just called it the Kenya Bears asshole hour, and that would be the show. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, and <laughs> yeah. about, because it would just be about how, like, we are these black people who have, like, you know, capitalism has propelled us to this, like, crazy strata of money, and this is, like, what our lives are. Don't try to convince me that you, like, over oh, super rich, and we, like, real black and down because we don't want you not to like us. Just let us not like you. Yeah, because that's the point of the show, and so I just found myself being like very resentful every time they would throw in one of those stupid speeches.
0: Oh, they're so horrible!
1: Every episode where Juneteenth, blah 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 blah. blah. I'm not from a wealthy family. I didn't even know what Juneteenth was until I got to college. We didn't celebrate Juneteenth in my household when I was growing up. So it's like all these like weird like fake things about like blackness that are just shoveled on top of the show and to, to have every episode be this is about slavery. Fuck you, this is about slavery. <laughs> this is about capitalism, you fucking asshole. You yeah. like it. You were rich. You have a lot of money. You yeah. have a jet. You bought you bought an island for your children to go to on vacation. Just it just be that. You're copying Larry David. Like just yes, do that. It's yeah. like just just do it and be it and like stop being so um self conscious about it that's the thing about the show that just the self-consciousness of it ultimately just always like just just made my teeth itch. Like it's, I was, I, but I watched the whole thing and like, and he obviously knows what he's doing. Cause he's been in the TV game for a long time. I was just like, if they just took that one thing out of that aspect of it, don't call it black as fuck. And don't like worry about trying to prove to the black audience that watches it. But you know, yes, even though we're way richer than you, we, we, we still down. I don't know. I just it irritated me.
0: Yeah, because there'll be one scene where he's like calling his daughter like a piece of shit, like mm-hmm. to her face, and then the next scene is like his daughter like in like the, adult- PBS. the
1: adultification, the adultification of the black girl. Yeah, and like, or- come on.
0: And, or she'll like do like these PBS like inserts where right. she'll talk about like Black History. I'm like, you didn't earn that. Like, this is not the show. Also, that you where need are to you do.
1: learning this in your like super rich life in Beverly Hills?
0: <laughs> it's a uh, it's a bizarre show. I would I I ended up loving it. I can understand Michael White you end up hating it. I, mean, I, I hate that- everything.
1: So that like, oh, I mean, there's also that's just like uh, <laughs> it's something I'm working on. I'm like working like I'm being prayerful. I'm trying to like. Get right with the Lord, but it's hard.
2: <laughs> well, everything is is bad is one of the big problems. Like almost every like TV show and movie like sucks. So that's yeah. a number, that's a big problem to begin with.
1: You know. So my big thing that I've been sort of been trumpeting is like we need to have like a national conversation about taste and discernment.
2: Yes. <laughs> too many people just
1: don't have it.
2: Yeah, we really did.
1: Let's make snobbery great again.
2: <laughs> I know. I, I'm, I'm sick of being taste shamed, to be honest. With you. <laughs> I'm sick of being shamed for, like, having standards for myself.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Why shouldn't you? That's yeah. like, you know, I don't know. I could go on for days about that. <laughs> taste and discernment. Taste and discernment. Taste I, and discernment. I,
2: I do, for real, think that there's like a, a a like sort of positivity in media movement that has like been bad for our culture overall. I really do. I like do, people want to like things too much, and I'm like, it's, it's like actually a, also fun to stand, not like things and better, co-
1: like in standing culture. Right. Yeah. It's exactly. Like you, can't, you have to. You like, can't just be like you like it. It's like it has to be the greatest thing ever.
2: Right, so it's like, a big part of your identity, of course. If right. if you like the Marvel movies, and anybody says that they uh, uh, aren't, you know, like really good movies, <laughs> you know, right. uh, uh, that is is important enough that you have to like get into like a, a fight about that because this is, you know, you're branded like a NASCAR. Marvel is one of the right. things that makes up your personality.
1: And the why can't people why why can't people like things? Right.
2: I'm like, oh, fucking let people like things. Like, yeah. yeah. Let people enjoy things. No, let right. people enjoy right. things. L pet, L pet. No right. good. No good. Yes. Yes.
0: Um, but Michael, now that you've, you know, railed against stand culture and liking <laughs> things too much, if people want to be your stand, where can they go and listen to or watch? I, I obviously it'd be difficult to watch it now, but where can they hear? Well, there's titles strange... There's
2: you, we know title already.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can listen to the original cast album of A Strange Loop anywhere you get music, whether that's title or iTunes or Amazon or or even if you're like hardcore old school and you listen to CDs, you can even order a copy of the CD. Um, uh Yellow Sound label is where. You can do that. Uh, I also have a couple other albums that I put out a couple of years ago that are just music I've written over the years. Um, on but they're only available on Bandcamp right now. Uh, Good clean music and dirty laundry, and I have a single called 1985 that I wrote with another lyricist. Um, so, so yeah, that's where you can find me. You can on, on all the socials. Oh, on...
0: Well, what's your Bandcamp list? Because I assume that if you go there and look for Michael Jackson, they might. Have...
1: Uh, if you if you go into Bandcamp and put on um, "Dirty Laundry" or "Good Clean Music," it'll be like the only thing that comes
2: up. Okay. All right. And so, so, and do you get like a, a statue for the Pulitzer Prize, or what? What do you get for it? No,
1: you. Well, it comes with a cash prize, which is nice. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, and then I think you get a certificate.
2: I, okay. Cool. Believe... So it's like a it's like a diploma.
0: Right. <laughs> okay. Very cool. <laughs> Graduating from public school. And on social you are the living MJ. I'm
1: uh yeah at the Living MJ on Twitter, the Living Michael Jackson on Instagram. <laughs> my website is thelivingmichaeljackson.com.
0: All right. Well, Michael, thank you so much uh for joining us. We will have to come back on and talk about a Tyler Perry movie in detail. Uh, oh
1: sometime. I you should see hear about my recap of acrimony.
0: Oh, All right, I haven't seen that one, but I must watch it. Let's do it. Let's do it. You must
1: watch it. I'm happy to talk about it at any time. I have so many thoughts and feelings about it.
0: All right, awesome. All right, y'all, that was Struggle Session. Have a good one. Peace.
1: Bye. I throw those minor chords away. Put on my red rose colored glasses. Composed a brand new song today. Jane Love Letter to the Masses.